From the beginning, man has possessed the attributes of the animal. Speed, power, dynamic movement, the instinct to exploit the weakness of his prey. And from his human inventiveness came weapons that could puncture and slash his enemy's flesh. In his struggle to survive, he developed tactics to heighten his advantage. Gradually, man created a knife culture, which has changed very little as it has cut its way through time. slashing and stabbing its enemies, the knife culture is still alive and deadly. NFFA been putting all this shit in the streets, y'all, hoping that we'd off each other. We didn't, and now they stoking the fire in another motherfucking way. Our neighborhood is under siege, gentlemen, from a government who doesn't give a shit about any of us. Now, there's a lot of good people out there who we're gonna have to protect now. See, the NFFA forgot about one thing. They forgot about us. This is our home. So let's show these motherfuckers never to fuck with our island again. Alright, welcome back to Odd's Place. It's me, Josh, your best friend and host of the show. I'm not going to mention how long it's been since our last episode, but I think this one is well worth the wait. I had a blast talking with Pat and Dan, but I also want to acknowledge that we are three white dudes and our conversation covers police violence. Before we get to that, a little business up top. We have a website now. Visit oddsplice.com for links to all of our social media accounts and past episodes. Also check out our brand spanking new YouTube channel and watch the first Oddsplice video essay. It's about the spooky documentary, The Writer with No Hands. It's very good. I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, I want more people to watch it. And as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, and review Oddsplice wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, now for the show. Uh, we're talking about a couple cool movies, decided to have a couple cool guys on to talk about them. Um, so we got Pat Blanchfield and Dan Yowl, Yowl. I Yeah, you got it. Got it. One Pat, uh, tell us who you are. Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Pat Blanchfield. I'm a journalist and writer and I'm a, I, I'm one half of a Twitch stream with, uh, with Dan where we're playing through the call of duty, single player franchise and associated games. And from like a leftist anti-imperialist perspective. So, yeah. And I'm also now I I've been studying the blade and, uh, boning up on the first movies. So I'm really, I'm, I'm really amped for this. Hell yeah, man. I feel, I, I feel this combo. Oh, I'm, I'm Dan. Thanks, Pat. I'm Dan. I'm the other half of, uh, uh, Carl Blanchfield. Um, I'm an illustrator and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like Pat, I feel like the learning the blade and then watching the purge movies has just wet my appetite to use the blade. So this is like the perfect pairing. I'm amped. I'm amped. I know. Yeah. I, there, there's so much going on here. Like, I think, you know, most people sort of surface a reaction to these, uh, you know, artifacts, if you will, is to kind of like condescend to them. But like, there's, they're tapping into something with the current moment and we need to investigate this. 
I wholeheartedly concur. Yeah. I don't know if I would have thought this had we not had this exercise, like prepping for for this episode. And <laughs> uh, now, yeah, yeah, there's definitely some building blocks to 2020 have been laid by surviving edged weapons in the purge movies these films are vibing they're like they're ahead of the shockwave they're like on a frequency only dogs can hear maybe to use an in-app metaphor uh <laughs> but also like yeah i feel like one of those like cats or goats that like senses the earthquake coming or rather james demonico is one of those like i don't yeah yeah a yeah the writer and director of the purge films um i don't know i they're gonna write books about him in a few years Hopefully, if if there's any justice in this world, if there is a world in a few years, uh, <laughs> when he's sent to jail for his dissenting opinions, right, for his incitement right. and art, yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, the movies we're covering are uh, "Surviving Edged Weapons," which is a '80s police training film, uh, which is a very weird way to describe it, um, but that's what it is. And then uh, we'll be focusing on the first Purge, which is the fourth in the purge film franchise and a prequel to the franchise. So we'll be focusing on that, but I think we all watched all of the other movies this week. So we'll be bringing in a lot of stuff from that too. So to like kick us off, get our brains going, uh, let's do some elevator pitches. Uh, let's see if we could come up with like, you know, one or two sentence descriptions for both of these films. Pat, do you want to, do you want to lead off with yours? All right, yeah, all right, I'll, I got one for edge weapons. I don't have the purge yet, but like edge weapons, I feel like, People are pointy, and they're going to stick you when you least expect it. <laughs> Dan, you said you had one earlier off off mic that uh, for one one for the first purge. It's a it's a ham fisted and cliche, but when the action kicks in and the ideological imagery starts firing off, it's like a it's like a guitar squeal. It's amazing. I actually, but the entire time watching, here, here's your elevator pitch. It's Michael Bay with a, like a, a moral compass. But still a lot of Michael Bay. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, Michael yeah. Bay's a producer on that. Or yeah, like, oh, yeah, totally. Platinum yes. Dunes co-production with Bloomhouse. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, I think that more than covers that unless anybody had another good one. I'm, I'm blanking. I mean, the, my actual elevator pitch that I would give to a friend about the Purge movies is they're not horror movies. They're much more interesting. That's really what I would tell people. I, I really, until you offered, hey, these are more interesting than they let on, I was not in, interested in watching them at all. They were just kind of on the back burner of my mind. I, I knew I had friends that were into them. But now that I've seen them, I think that's what I'll tell people. They're not horror movies, They're they're but they have something really interesting going on. Yeah, I thought they were all home. I like, like I'll, I'll confess, I thought they were all like home invasion movies. Like my my frame for the whole thing was the trailers I had seen for the first uh, Ethan Hawke joint and yeah, I I find those like claustrophobic and horrifying in a way. But then, like on your encouragement, watching them, like, oh, these are there's a properly political dimension to these. Like they're kind of crazy radical in, in in making the implicit explicit. Yeah, and maybe the the really actually poignant uh, and timely like political imagery aside, um, they they might be one of the best examples of franchises where like the core concept builds onto itself really naturally in like a really comfortable way from one movie to the next. Like the, the second movie and the way that it adds onto the world from the first movie was like, it didn't feel stretched. It didn't feel like a panel discussion led to a toy line that dictated how this is going to build out or whatever. It really did feel like, Oh wow. Like he, he knew the universe that that first much smaller film was set in so well that this like second movie came out of that so well. And the third one gets even bigger and the fourth one gets even bigger somehow. Uh, it's pretty great. I want to watch the uh, the TV series now, which takes 10 hours to go through one purge night, 
and then it has wow. like and it has like wow. flashbacks for all these characters and stuff like let's uh let's kind of extract a unifying theme um between these two films it's, it's generally um american violence from both pers- you know either side of the law hmm. I, I would just think that i'm haunted by this phrase the reactionary gap right in, in the training the cop training thing like the, the lag time between when you see a threat coming and then you you draw your smith and wesson police model on it right like this idea that like something is always coming for you and it's always just below the surface but i don't know it feels like the violence is always there and just we're waiting for it to get to to, to poke you like a like a like an Indonesian Chris that for some reason some guy has in his athleisure jacket. <laughs> <laughs> the assumption that that guy like casually hanging out at the street corner also has a full length katana <laughs> hidden in his trench coat will just come screaming at you if you approach him. The Tonto, uh, what are deadly blades? Yeah, sorry. Go for it. Of, of course, of course. Street sword. Have you heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but uh, for me, the, the like the thread that tied these two movies together um, is they both have this assumption that uh, the humans are monsters and there's, there's, it's not just that, that they have the potential for violence. It's that like the violence is inevitable. Um, that's something like Verhoeven movies. I'm so glad you brought him up. They always have like every time violence explodes on screen in front of people who aren't supposed to be accustomed to it. They always react nonchalantly to it. Like starship troopers and RoboCop, like normal civilians will see gruesome violence. Some of them might scream or whatever, but for the most part, there's a sense that this is just the world that they live inside of. Uh, and then when you watch the, the purge movies and the purge kicks off, there's this assumption there that people want to kill each other and have to kill each other. Uh, and then when you watch Surviving Edge Weapons, it's almost like the real world, <laughs> like that's what comes of that kind of mentality is, all right, well, here's a survival manual since every single human being has a knife tucked inside of their belt buckle. Right. The, the, the pervasive knife culture that exists solely to stab cops in the dick. Right. <laughs> when when potential becomes inevitable, we need we need to learn how to train with edged weapons, I guess. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love that. Like knife culture, whatever this is unifies, like on the one hand, like I think like they're described as, like psychotic, like schizo killers who are breaking glass in a mental ward to slash themselves, <laughs> yeah. but also like Malaysian, like, or, or, or like Chris wielders or like, uh, like Sikhs with their care pans or like, th- like the jets with their switchblades or ninjas like they're all there knife culture it's continually getting better it's just below the surface and it's going to poke you maybe that's like the unifying thing that we should all be like going hand into head and hand in hand into that sweet dark of night culture let's the knife culture let's just do it let's all saw our pinky toes off and chuck them at the police (laughs) we're getting two different worldviews of violence and uh so especially talking about the purge movies again like most people we just remember the ad copy which is like it's just the concept what if murder was legal for one night of the year what would you do and so we sort of play off that and like um i think at least in sort of the the bourgeois circles uh it is about like what's your darkest fantasy but then the actual sympathies of the movies are very different and and sort of recognizes the power dynamic and who truly wields power and who is willing to be violent towards whom like the purge can as as a franchise like is concerned explicitly with power dynamics and then you go to surviving edged weapons and it's like oh violence is just in your heart and it's in Mm -hmm. every human heart and it could 
and it's just waiting to burst out uh, like like a fish hook in your jeans and cut yeah. out of a cop's hand. <laughs> like, like a whole pack of razors taped to the back of your hat just waiting to be flailed in somebody's face. Fucking Peaky Blinder shit. Wild. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's like, it's like I, th- I feel like the Purge things, like, I think that's a really uh, astute way you just like put it like, like the, the, the peel that like I guess a lot of people dismiss them on is like, what would you do if crime were legal? But like the movies are actually like the theme I would say like might be like what would America do if crime were legal right or like what does America and the answer is like what America always does just even more so and that's like ethnic cleansing violence and it's it's, it's all this like crazy racialized like inequality shit whereas the knife thing from the cop perspective so like it's like the perspective is and like I guess that's where the fan base is right is 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 is, is blacks and, black and Latinx people right where in, in like a very primary way whereas for the cop thing it's like since the dawn of time man has wanted to stab police officers and it's like okay (laughs) what pat just mentioned the opening of surviving edged weapons is a staged scene between cavemen one of them is like cooking his sweet delicious meats and another one who's hungry comes up and then it looks like the guy's gonna help him but then just capriciously the guy who came up like pulls a knife and stabs the guy and takes and then that warm comforting midwestern accent comes over you might recognize knives as primitive tools (laughs) like it's just wonderful the whole thing just it's got like this warm blanket comforting if the subject matter wasn't so violent it's the kind of video that i would watch to fall asleep at night yeah the introduction is like the introduction to a cormac mccarthy novel yes (laughs) yes i was i was thinking that there's like a weird like i wanted i was looking up that i actually never finished reading it but like the knife fight in cities on the plane i wanted to dig it out to be where, where it Eduardo and and then like I forget which one is the pimp and which one isn't, but like that like extended knife fight that's like sixty pages and they're like slashing one another's faces and cheeks and like bits of gristle are going everywhere. It's like yeah, knife fighting is like man is most atavistic. Like we want to penetrate other men. I'm like okay, but we yeah, saw a lot of men penetrating men and, and surviving edged weapons. That's for sure. It, it's the purest look into the cop psyche I've I've ever seen. Dan, as an owner of a VHS copy of this <laughs> of this film, like. How would you describe the the structure of surviving edged weapons? Um, it's uh, uh, it's entertainment whiplash waiting to happen in like the best possible way. The reenactments are produced so well and with such gusto and heart, and the actors' performances are like actually pretty convincing and really funny and pretty great. Um, and and then while you're like guffawing and laughing at a guy being you know shot in the chest with a crossbow because that's an edged weapon and you need to look out for crossbows in Wisconsin, they'll like hard cut to actual police org pho- photography of a real crossbow dart sticking out of a deceased officer's chest, being like, yeah, you really should look out for this shit. And uh, and then you get really sad, <laughs> and it's just like it, and then like slowly amps back up to like up oh, here comes another scene where we have to guess which one of these people is going to stab an officer next, and then it whiplashes you back to oh that actually probably did happen. Yep, it did happen. There's the photo. <laughs> oh my god, it's 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 really amazing. It's singular in its entertainment whiplash. It's it's pretty great, and it's it's genuinely informative. Like Pat, you alluded earlier to the uh, the the distance that people have to travel in order to be able to be able to uh, avoid getting stabbed. Like they, they set two people up, an officer and a assailant and they'll have the assailant a foot away and then five feet away and then 20 feet away. And they'll show how difficult it is to pull a gun on the suspect. Um, and I liked in that, that whole section, the narrator just kept saying like, you might think that your first instinct is to pull a gun and shoot. 
Uh, but maybe that's not the best thing here. Like there's just this assumption that like, yeah, you're a cop. You're going to shoot him. <laughs> we get it. it. It's really revealing how they never talk about what we like, because a huge part of it is testimonials of cops who have been stabbed like talking about what it's like to be stabbed, <laughs> which is genuinely moving and like really intense to watch and listen to. Yeah. But yeah, they talk about just the experience of being stabbed and their reaction to it, not what the encounter was like before a knife was pulled on them. So like we get no insight into why someone pulled a knife on them in the first place. We don't know what the cop was doing before the knife gets pulled. And instead we get a whole like rogues gallery of bad guys with knives and there are different kinds of knives. And then here are the knives we seized in the school or the airport, or here's how many knives you can fit in like your like, like classic late eighties bomber jacket. And here's the, here's a, here's an accomplished knife fighter. And I think I looks like I like Danny Nosanto, <laughs> the who, who's in, who's in game of death with Bruce, Bruce Lee. Like, yes. it's like, it's, it's like, here's your typical knife fighter. He's got a bunch of throwing stars and he's extreme. He's like extremely versed in like Escrima. Every Midwestern police department's going to have to be trained on how to apprehend a drunken knife wielding Bruce Lee. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Tons of Kung Fu experts in Milwaukee. Like, exactly. Just known known for uh, its gun kata, um, <laughs> Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, that. Guy. Uh, but yeah, really, the the one two pairing of surviving night uh, edge weapons and the purge. I think for me, the the weirdest thing about these two things together was uh, the purge revels in a lot of violent imagery, and and I guess we could talk about it later. But in the first purge, especially, there's a couple of shots of people dying that the. The death is painful and you're meant to feel it, but you're meant to kind of revel in it in a way like you're you're watching the people get revenge on the people in power. And it feels good to see that violence. And then later you're watching a, a, a an actual police training tape where they're showing actual literal real world violence in it. And uh, it, again, it's whiplash. It's just a uh, it's a lot. The, the two of them back and forth. It's it was a uh, it was a lot, man. You broke my brain. Yeah, you broke yeah my brain. I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, a reason I wanted you guys on was like, uh, I feel like the um, the Purge series like really resonates with your work, Pat, um, your uh, writing. I was thinking especially about the uh, your article in Business Insider about the St. Louis gun couple um, and then your review of uh, – was it Catherine Ballou's book about um, white supremacy? Yeah, yeah. Kathleen Ballou, she's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's her book is uh, Bring the War Home, and it's about uh, – I think it's called uh, – white power violence in the, since the Vietnam War. Or something. It's wonderful. Like, I can't recommend that book highly enough. These are two things that are, you know, very much diagnosing the sickness at the heart of American society, or at least the biggest obstacle to creating a better society, which I think, yeah, it can is in some ways reducible to gun or weapon culture and who we allow to possess those weapons and use them with yeah, that was the thing that I, I, I keep on thinking about the Purge films, too, like in this way where it's like what they seem to basically be like is like, well, who's got once you give everybody impunity, what do you get? You get mercenaries, Klansmen, S&M cops, and all, you have like, quote unquote, like crime, like people doing like desperate things. But you basically have even more of like violence that is already that always was sort of tied to the state or to like the white power structure. And that you just have more of that. And there's something about that that seems so like, I don't think I've seen a film that's like that frank about it. Right. Or that aestheticizes it too. Like the weird, like gunfight scenes with the clan or, or that scene in the baseball diamond, which I think we should talk about, but like, it's just like, I can't, 
I've never seen a movie that like is so straightforward about it, right? And and, and that's or or that mobilizes these questions of like, well, what's up with the economics of this, and who's behind it, and how why do they want to kill the poor, etc. Like that series only gets more and more politically like explicit, and I, I can't think of anything else like that. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, uh, it, it's so wild to think that the original Purge, the twenty thirteen Ethan Hawke Purge, that was an Obama era movie. Like, that was the second term, and at that point, there's still some optimism, I think, in American politics. But it's settling back into this business as usual. But everybody wanted to think racism was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the right the the purge movies were just really in your face. Did you guys read that uh, that oral history article from uh, the L.A. Times? Yeah, I did. I was very impressed. Yeah, I didn't realize like that. Yeah, Demonico, Demonico is it Demonico or Demon? I don't even. Yeah, Demonico. I think he's a he's brilliant. Like I was like this guy. This guy like he wanted to make a he wanted to make like a, like a, a straw dogs movie about race. Like was like I guess like his first way, and then ran with it i i have to respect that and this is it's demented but brilliant it does kind of feel like he he has had this like that one message in mind for all four of his movies and it feels like each one of the movies is kind of approaching the idea from like a louder bo- born does that make sense like that you you can get a lot of the same themes out of the first one that he has in the fourth one but the the fourth one he's not being subtle about it anymore like in 2013 he had to use lines like this doesn't happen in our neighborhood um, and then in the 2019 movie, uh, he's not even alluding to things anymore. He's just showing you a black man choking a police officer to death. Yeah, it's interesting in that article how uh, sort of dialogical, I think, I wanted the, the further development of the series was. Like, Demonico, he's like, all right, I made this thing like, uh, you know, it's Bloomhouse Productions, $3 million budget. I think he said Ethan Hawke made $10,000 to shoot it, but he had a cut wow. of the back end. Yeah. $3 million budget makes $36 million on its theatrical run. And then it was really popular, and then they were finding it was really popular with black and Latino audiences. And DeMonico, like, he's he's interacting with that feedback. He knows who his audience is, and then he's just unapologetic about going in that direction to the point of he actually gave up directing the franchise after election year and said, I, you know, I got to find a black guy to, you know, or a black person to direct these now. Like, I'll write them, but... Like, it's not just mine anymore, seems to be his attitude. I think rightfully so, because there was, I, th- I think, if I was to pick a flaw with these movies, it would be the, probably the screenplay and a very much the dialogue that he writes for his characters. And especially minority characters sound so insincere. Like, you can hear uh, the writer's voice coming out of their throats, and it's always so uncomfortable. All the movies really struggle with that, I think, in one one way or another. Just a lot of really weird dated slang and stuff. Just people talking in ways that I'm not sure they would in reality. Didn't feel sincere. Yeah. So, so the, but then the violence erupts and it gets really good. The Delhi conversation in the Purge Anarchy uh, was, or rather, it was an election year when they're all in the when like. Yes. Yeah. That that, yeah. that was that was that was a lot of cringe for me. I had a lot of yeah, cringe. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to claim that these movies are perfect, but I think they're made so sincerely yes. that I yes. like. I think. Um, like especially the first purge is like a legitimately uh I'll stake out my territory here it's like okay so 2018 there's was like a big year for black cinema no matter which way you cut it like black panther came out that year uh sorry to bother you and black klansman mm-hmm. um 
in a just world, we'd drop Black Panther and we'd be talking about the first purge, uh, Black Klansman, <laughs> and and sorry to bother you. Uh, at least at least within like critical circles. Yeah, the first purge is one of the best um, movies I've seen in years. I was blown away by it. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Dan, go for it. No, no, you're good. I, I, I was going to say that. Uh, I, I, I wonder what your guys' thoughts are as to why it didn't get that like same reception. Because like I definitely didn't see very many like you know Huffington Post think pieces about you know <laughs> what what angle of our culture reflected you know the purge the first purge back at us kind of a thing. But um, and usually like Disney releases a movie like Black Panther is the perfect example, and you get all of these you know hand wringing pieces about the really it's just marketing very very cleverly disguised marketing trying to boost on Twitter or whatever. Um, and I you know companies gotta make money I don't begrudge it. But the purge, there was nothing like that. I didn't hear any kind of like revolutionary feedback, like revolutionaries in like the topic of the film. Um, and so watching it was kind of like a, a shock to me. But just how you're right, I was I did by the end of it, there are like serious black Klansmen vibes going on. Um, yeah, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, should we talk about the baseball scene? We should talk about Jeez, the baseball. Let's scene. talk about the baseball scene, Pat. Pat lead us in this what's your take on the baseball i don't scene? so just to set this up for, for anyone who hasn't seen it right this is in at a certain point we're, we're all on the same page on the, on the premise right staten island is the ground zero so to speak for the test of the first purge and it, there is insufficient which we which which we're given to understand is actually a, a quote-unquote social experiment right which is an amazing turn of phrase right like i feel like trolling mm -hmm. on twitter mm -hmm. or being like, like like social experiment uh it, nominally designed by this completely absurd like social psychologist marissa tomei right but actually being orchestrated by these uh the new founding fathers who are this reactionary like primal horde transgressive father assholes uh, with their like, what's who's that guy? It's like Sabian, who looks like Bat Schlapp or whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. Right, <laughs> sort of like he's great. Yeah, uh, he's who's great. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, what's his? I don't want to get that. He actually did a really good. Like he he's not just like a poor man's Brian Dennehy. Like he actually was pretty amazing at being like sort of square headed and 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 uh, yeah, Patch Pat Dara. Uh, he was great. But like but like yeah, like so, so they're gonna, they they run the purge and the purge doesn't yield enough violence among the low income predominantly people of color that that are the testing grounds for the purge. So they so this right wing government we are we we learn buses in sundry mercenaries it's a little unclear i actually kind of like this ambiguity but like buses in other actors buses is probably an unfortunate turn of, turn of phrase but also yeah. kind of resonating here like they bring them in to do ethnic cleansing style violence and so you have scenes of like proud boys with aryan flags like burning a church like attacking a church doing like a charleston redux you have clansmen in like the full like grand dragon regalia and then in this montage at one of these points as the purge escalates right because otherwise people are thinking it's gonna the marissa tomei indicates that her her data whatever the fuck data set she's working with predicts that people are going to be more violent at the beginning than less violent actually the, the purge is accelerating and in that montage we get a sequence in which a whole bunch of like dudes wearing a like cop outfits but like 1960s cop outfits like it's very like um montgomery bridge but also like a little bit like democratic convention 68 shit like with the white mm -hmm. helmets and shit and glasses but they've also got on like snm leather gear with like spikes on it like they're punked out cops are standing in a baseball diamond at like the first baseline as someone is singing i think it's god bless america right uh yeah. 
in, in a deserted stadium in the middle of the night, and they've all got like the the cool hand Luke band with no eyes aviators on, and they're all carrying uh, like nightsticks and sundry other melee weapons as a man who a black man who's clearly been already beaten within an inch of his life is like struggling down the baseline uh, and they surround him and then it fades to fades to black. And yeah, that was one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen on film. Actually, it's even more so than the, the, uh, the election year or I was, it was it the anarchy bit with the, with the white family about to machete some guy in their plastic draped uh, dining room. This was, Oh Jesus. This yeah. was, the, the guy who sold himself to a rich family to be brutalized so that he could afford to pay for his mounting medical expenses and and erase the debt for his family. Yeah, this movie doesn't fuck around. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. yeah I think that the, one of the craziest things about that diamond, the baseball diamond scene, is that the imagery and the scenario is one. It's immediately recognizable. It, it's it takes the breath out of your lungs like as soon as it comes on screen you can't believe what you're looking at and it hits you in the middle of a montage so like they're, they're showing like pat alluded to they're, they're showing like gangs of people doing all this stuff and like i'm watching it thinking like oh, okay i can see that as an allegory for this i can see it as an allegory for this and then it cuts to this shot of these police surrounding this man and it's a brutal shot and it takes a pretty long time and it, it's like the director saying like no 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 you don't get to pick your own allegories i'm going to show you what i'm talking about um, it was great. One thing that this these movies are truly excellent at is is like tableau and production design. Yes, like there are these these scenes that just pack so much meaning in, and it just like uh, they they shock you. Oh, it just remind me, um, uh, Sean T. Collins. Uh, he's a TV critic for like Rolling Stone and a few other places. Like he he wrote this essay. I think it was for the Outline called "The Monumental Horror Image." Mm. Um. And he kind of gets at stuff in like like Hereditary or The Wicker Man, where it's like there's nothing like obviously scary about The Wicker Man, but you know it presents something other or outside your experience, and it's and it's both repellent and tantalizing at the same time. And I think the Purge films sort of operate on a very similar wavelength. And they seem to make that a political statement too, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm vibing with what you're saying, where it's like. What the, what's already in front of us is just taken to an additional level, which is like its logical continuity, but also, I guess, like its conditions of possibility. And like, it's horrifying, right? And there's some way in which like, it's like putting it into words. Like, I think I'm still, I'm hung up on the baseball diamond scene where it's like, you could like, like, like describe it in terms of meaning and be like, oh, he's saying, the director is basically saying that like, I don't know, like cops beating black people is America's national pastime or something, right? Or like some sort of like, kind of like, like America's favorite sport or something, right? Which is, which sounds so glib. And yet when you see the image, and I don't think you actually see them strike him, he's bleeding and then they move in. But also like the, the, the additional element of just like the S&M gear that they're wearing, which like plays up the way in which they clearly like, there's a pleasure that the police have in dominating people. Like they're like dominate, dominator. Like I'm not sure what the male of dominatrixes is in law, but like that type of like obscenity of violence that is legitimate anyways, being only like underscored by what happens in the sort of like sacrifice zone space of purge night. It just, it was breathtaking. It was like the most, but I think like the other, like anarchy with the other movies too, like you get like the best parts of anarchy are when it's like the woman, on the bus stop as her husband burns to death or the guillotine down the alley, right? Like the little vignettes yep. that they're haunting and you don't get a backstory, but you can, they're so overdetermined that they just make you feel sickened somehow. Right. 
Well, yeah, I mean, what what the the purge actually is, is like, it's the one day we can take the mask off. And then ironically, it's putting masks on. But like, right, DeMonico goes to like great pains to be like, all right, I'm taking America as like uh, slightly more nakedly dystopian than it already is. But the social relations are fundamentally the same. And what if you just changed this one law? What if you made a festival where... uh, like all the stuff we say we abhor and horrify is is uh accepted it's um it actually kind of reminds me a lot and I, don't, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent of this but it reminds me a lot of i had a very conservative religious upbringing and there's this like deep vein of um like the world is sick and twisted and you can't trust the people around you because they're deceived like that that kind of social mm. paranoia that anybody that's outside of your in-group is actually going to cause you physical harm and you need to keep yourself at a distance kind of a thing. Um, both of the movies, uh, uh, all the Persian movies seem to have a lot of that going on. And so does the uh, surviving edge weapons. I guess steering into like one other overall theme is how both of these movies portray power mm-hmm. and power relations. Um, I, it's not in the, the first purge, but um, in the purge anarchy, when they lift the rule that you're now allowed to target uh, any political figure you would like to. Um, but it still manages to be a, 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 a pretty good symbol for the current system because the, the presidents that are in power and looking down on the system are pretty safe. and They have armed, you know, militia forces that will protect them, to, you know, to their lives. And so really lifting that rule doesn't you, you have you know, broadcast that this is putting on you an equal playing field because on paper it's equal. But, you know, that's not really how power works. Like the movies get yeah. more, they always get more and more like frank about this being like like the the equality of like an equal access to release is as much bullshit as like the equal access to weapons or like yeah yeah the the fact that yeah I think that's exactly right like they're like well even in the realm of of a day when everything is permitted for everyone equally clearly there are certain obvious asymmetries of who gets to get away with what it's so interesting that the series starts in like a mcmansion nuclear family that's like the milieu the perspective of somebody who's traditionally like very detached from the proceedings like having to confront it and then from there it moves out into the city and then is always from the perspective of people who are either discovering the stakes for the people on the bottom of the social ladder or from that viewpoint itself I think the setting and the the casting of the first, not the first Purge, but the first of the Purge movies, uh, is it, it might be uh, Demonico's like best trick ever. Like I feel like he he tricked suburban dads with home defense fantasies into going to see a movie that actually had an interesting political message that would counter those fantasies. Uh, and each movie is like built on that. And I think that's it, it's really clever that he's giving the people what they want and also like feeding them their medicine, too, in a way. It Yeah, it pulls this masterful trick of like, let's let's uh, depict the horror of what this would mean. But it's. It's always on the side of of humanity, like one thing I really appreciate these movies for is like they don't shy away from like how awful humans can be to each other, but it doesn't punish its characters for cooperating or trusting other people like it's all about mm. people from different walks of life coming together and surviving and you and they're being preyed upon most you know mostly and explicitly by the upper classes. I mean there are some other chaotic elements in there, but that's like the thrust of all of these movies. I do feel like sometimes um, I get a little lost, especially in uh, the first purge, um, 
I got a, a little lost sometimes trying to figure out exactly what they were trying to communicate because the, I think it's because of 2020 and like the Black Lives Matter marches and the the writing and stuff like that that started happening. Um, some of the imagery was so similar to that. And uh, obviously this came out well before those marches and stuff like that happened. But I kept trying to project a, a different kind of political setting onto the movies. And by the end of the movie, I, it was actually kind of shocking how well it grew into what I was projecting onto it. Uh, and for a movie that came out, you know, a year or a year and a half before all that stuff came about, it really is. It, it's pretty startling. I have a lot of respect for the people that made the movie. Like mm-hmm. they really, they're tapping into a vein there. They, they see there's some like newsreel footage or like like I remember like I froze the screen in election year where like there's a there's some Black Lives Matter signage and I think there's actually a hands up don't shoot Mike Brown sign in the opening montage of election yep. year, which is like it's it sort of. I, I it's fast. It's gone, and if you if you if you don't if you can't pause it, you don't see it. But like, it is interesting. Like, it, it does seem to be keep on like saying like, well, actually, purge rules apply for people for a whole set of people, namely the police, right? But also, like, you know, like you look at the disparities in stand your ground or justifiable homicide trials, like the outcomes, like actually people can get murder is already legal for a lot of americans but it's just not called murder and they can just be like well the dude may have had 16 bolo knives on him i don't know maybe he had a mace like when's the last time you were worried that someone like may have had like you, you who knows this kid may have a morning star on him right this this, this <laughs> surviving edge weapons told me that someone can conceal an entire fucking claymore in like their jenkos so like you never know right right <laughs> Right. I think the purge helps, uh, the, especially comparing the first purge specifically in surviving edged weapons. Like if you, you see the paranoia and the fear in the heart of the cop in, in surviving edged weapons. And like the first purge gives you more context for that. Like where does it, it, it points out the class and race positions of that paranoia. So, so many of these um, like stand your ground movies have like the, the siege films, the, the central conceit will be like, there's a, a crazy gang that's out there that, you know, wants to break in and steal your shit and kill everybody or whatever. Um, and I, I was really struck by in. Um, oh, and, and usually there's some kind of like a police force, or something like that on the inside, like assault on precinct. Yeah. Yeah. Ford Apache. One of my all time favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, love that movie. Um, <laughs> um, so it's the bad guys against the good guys, but I really liked how in um, the purge was it election year when there's a subplot of the the store owner whose uh, purge insurance skyrockets. Right. Yeah. Um, so he decides to grab his rifle and defend his own shop, um, but before the purge starts, there's like a local mischief maker who tries to um, steal from his shop, and he scolds her and sends her out, um, and then she comes back and tries to murder him. And I thought that that was a it felt like one of those other siege movies where it would be a cop fighting against a thief who would, you know, didn't like being corrupted by a, a person in authority. And they came back to it, you know, exact their revenge. But here, because the director knew the audience and knew like knows humans and how humans function, he made it about, you know, a local store owner and somebody in his community that lives, you know, around the corner. They talk about knowing each other's parents. Um, I don't know. I, 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 he's tapping into something there. He's getting it like he, he can generate the same setting and emotions and stuff out of me using the same setups just by swapping scenario and characters, just getting rid of the whole police officer is the good guy cliche and making this about like something a little bit more human. There's, uh, I thought it was really, really well done. Uh, yeah. Uh, Not the greatest villain in the world, but that was an interesting little. Aside. No, I think you're right. I, I, you're reminding me of something, too, where it's like I think um, in the in election year when it opens up 
with the you, you see all the new founding fathers sitting around the boardroom and like the chief new founding father and I forget his name he's the guy who plays Raylan's dad on Justified in the second season oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um he's dropping all like he, he gets all he's dropping all like like cunt this and twat that and bitch this like he gets all like like that that particular so, so good. yeah like a particular strain of like piggish masculinity he like at some point he has this line about how the purge is everyone's right to get like something he basically says that classic line about how like conservatism is the the one of the definitions of conservatism where it's like there are those that the law binds and those that the law like liberates and it's a totally ephemeral like these two categories do not make right right but he has some line about mm-hmm. how like if you're if you're purging, that's your right, and that's how you preserve your property rights, and etc. Et and he and clearly he's saying that as like one of the the shadow president of the United States. And then that young woman who comes back for her candy bar says almost the exact same thing about how yes. it's her candy bar and it's her right to it. Yep. And like it, there is something where it's like clearly these two things are not like morally equivalent or like equivalent on scale, but on some basic level, it's like oh, this, there's a certain principle here, but also the way in which it's like being distributed asymmetrically. So this guy is safely in the in this boardroom in D.C. Like I don't even know, like harvesting billions of dollars from insurance, like insurance and she's going to like kill her neighbor bodega owner for a free musketeer bar after killing her own parents mm-hmm. like there was like that really hit me it was like oh my god this is uh it's saying it they're onto something yeah yeah like yeah it's they're, they're saying the quiet thing loud and i'm thrilled by it yeah man it's 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 100 percent like uh demonica's line in that the oral history piece is just like yeah i was trying to make this like x-rated treatise on violence we were trying to do a michael hannock style art film about awful stuff and then it's like oh we got the funding and whatever to turn this into this like great genre thing but they didn't have to like modulate it at all it's just like um i, th- I think aesthet- that's where yeah, aesthetized oh. in a different way and then that same message is coming through but it's entertaining at the same time like they're really threading a needle with it i think that's what Bl- blumhouse is so good at is they they find this like tasty morsels that like really nice little concept and then they just drizzle it in chocolate and market it as like a horror thriller and you know bing bang bong there you go you got to hit that saying something um it's 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 brilliant very smart thinking and what i think uh, i saw the stat that all four combined all four of the purge movies cost like 33 million dollars and total they all four grossed almost half a billion dollars Whoa. amazing amazing so i think all four of them together have 500 million under their belt and they cost 33 million to make that's crazy that's crazy that's a lot of chocolate covering it's such a good job yeah I, I know in a lot of like critic circles they lament the the loss of the the mid-budget film but oh man like if you want your if you want your fingers on the pulse like pay attention to the b movies because these are these are the mm-hmm. things people actually go to see the Irishman was great, but right. <laughs> I don't think my dad watched it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like comparing this to like you know like John Carter of Mars or something, where it's like you throw a hundred million dollars at something, or like or like like the film, some of the stuff that Netflix has been sinking money into, where it's like this is absurd. Like Ryan Reynolds and was it like Six Down or whatever, and it's like Jesus Christ. Like oh this, yeah, Six Underground. Six, thank you. The, the hidden Michael Bay movie. Sorry, no, no, I just think about what you said about spoilers too. Where it's like there are no, Dan, what you said about spoilers, like like there are no, 
in the first 15 minutes of the second movie, they've already, the only spoiler is like that the government is behind it. Right. But like that's already established as a plot point minutes into the second movie. And it's already implicit in the first movie by giving us Ethan Hawke in his like McMansion, like as the white family, like it's already there. Like there is nothing to spoil. It's just giving you back what's already there. I think that the first half, the first half of all of these movies have like Jaws logic where, you know, that shit's going to go down. You know, there's a shark in the water, but we got to meet the characters first. Um, and uh, for me personally, it's the hardest part for me to get through. The, the first half of the movies, man, I just wish you, I, w- I wish they're written a little better. The dialogue is just tough to sit through sometimes. But once that action kicks in, once you see the shark for the first time, oh boy, it doesn't let up. Oh yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. percent. Uh, but the shark is never a surprise. I, I, there's, there's no way to. The, the, the surprising part, the spoiler bits, are would probably be us describing like, yeah, just wait until that baseball scene because I think the impact of seeing it without any context is like kind of what makes it so powerful like the baseball scene is this really descriptive image. And then, um, yeah, the first purge specifically, there's, there's a couple different like healing images or, uh, there's this almost utopian moment early on in the purge. Like, I think it was after Skeletor did his first kill with the, like the first crime you see is like a guy just breaking into an ATM and he's screaming about <laughs> like, you're, you're charging me money to take out my money. I'm getting my shit back. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. try to take a crowbar to an ATM and then Skeletor who's set up as the main big bad. Cause, but after that, they get to the purge party and like it's that slow realization that people aren't doing enough killing like it's people are either mostly like stealing with the threat of violence or they're just like oh we can finally just throw a block party that the cops won't break up like we can just do whatever we want and there's just this like brief flash of like damn we can all breathe for once (laughs) and then it's sort of engineered to collapse after that but like there's even i'm thinking specifically of that shot of of skeletor like you know he's moving through the purge party and there's like people like engaging with him and like trying yeah, to welcome him, on him yeah in in into the midst and there's there's like this brief second where you're like is this guy is this guy gonna just give it up is he gonna drop the knife is he just gonna accept it and then you know he doesn't but it it's like this window into possibility like there is a utopia on the other side of the purge but it's the powers that be are trying to foreclose that possibility yeah, like, like this moment of like collective effervescence and everyone's partying and it's it, I, I keep thinking I don't want to like get too much into the weeds of like I guess like the chop jazz situation in Seattle is probably going to be old news in like days. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but like this like idea like, well, people once you take the cops out of the equation, like people are OK. Uh, but then, you know, the outside world comes in, but also like you can't there's still cops elsewhere. And, and, and so, that you know, you have quote-unquote gang violence split is spilling into the vicinity but also like you have skeletor who who uh, to the to the film's credit like also establishes is basically like COINTELPRO project chaos like given money by the nffa to go in and stab people which made him a little which made his i had some i I was a little worried about that character i gotta say like i still know how i feel about him but like it it was a i don't know yeah um i i do think the movie gives gives him a chance at redemption because like his last scene is he's attacking the death squad in blackface uh or oh that's a whole thing like that right the ending sequence in the um the uh the tower block uh where it's right mercenary death squads one of them's like an snm ss officer in a gas mask and then the other guys are literally wearing like um minstrel masks yep which is right and 
So the most healing image in the, like the most the the redemptive violence in that scene where our our hero Dimitri, the reformed drug dealer, like you see him choke out and crush the larynx of one of these death squad guys and it's like it's a complicated emotion when that happens i think um compare it to the ending of the first first purge movie the ending of the first purge movie says these people want to purge but the way that we stop the purge is by not purging right so it ends with people choosing not to be violent and then (laughs) now watch the ending of the fourth purge movie where it's like Oh, actually, maybe maybe some violence is necessary. Yeah, it's, maybe something has to happen. Right, and it, it, it it's very careful to contextualize the violence. Like yep. you've seen Dimitri, he's he's realized the error of his ways. He's effectively had his family killed in front of him, and he's trying to reconnect with you know the old girlfriend Naya, who is like trying to survive the night. Like you know, she's been nonviolent and as pacifistic as possible up until they're in that tower block, and even she's like. Well, I'm not dying. What do I have to do to not die in this situation? Right. It's like, all right, we're we're scouring the apartment for anything that can be used as a weapon. <laughs> um, and so when it's that dire, it's like, okay, maybe it's okay to enjoy watching the guy who's trying to save his people kill the guy who's trying to kill him and everyone he loves. The thing that popped in my head when they were in that apartment and they had that moment where it was like, well, we're going to die if we don't fight, so we should fight, was all the uh, corporate uh, workplace shooter trainings yeah. that I've had to sit through, the yeah. run, run, fight, hide. Um, and it was just interesting to see that just shown on screen like, OK, well, they, they know in a world where mass shootings would be, you know, enabled by law. Here you go. Can we talk about Skeletor yeah. a little bit? I'm yeah. going to oh. breeze past that character. Oh, I yeah, think that yeah. might be the most one of the most fascinating characters in the yeah. entire series. And Oh, yeah, that was all on the way to say, like, he gets his redemption moment. His last scene is yeah. him barging yeah. in, screaming motherfuckers and chopping <laughs> out up of some nowhere. mercenaries. <laughs> yeah, out of nowhere. Well, well, um, he also may be coming there to, like, kill Isaiah. To kill, our to kill Isaiah and, yeah. and, and follow up on that rape threat that he issued earlier, right? So, so like, yeah. he is, like... He's chaotic evil versus like uh, lawful evil, which would be the the mercenary people. Here's here's a little production design thing. Did you guys notice there's a a Halloween poster on Isaiah's, yes. Isaiah's yes. wall? So like I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my take is that Skeletor's being identified with Michael Myers as like this almost supernatural yeah. force. Um, yeah, yes. And, and, oh, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think on a metatextual level, and, and when they shoot that first scene where they, not the scene where he's being MK ultraed by the CIA secretly in a bunker someplace, but the the next scene when you see him in, I guess his home? Question mark. Um, it's like it's shot through like fog billowing over the lens. It's all green lights. Everything's dripping wet and dark, and you just see him like, what is he like duct taping? knives to his wrists so he can be some kind of like junky wolverine oh yeah the... and cutting himself he, he has like a straight up out of it reminded me of nightmare on elm street like maybe nightmare on elm street 4 some of that like dream imagery but that's just where this guy lives so and that was right at the start of the movie they introduced this big bad villain and then it turns out i, I think that the best trick that they play with this character is they make you think this guy is the do-all end-all of evil things in this movie and then they pull the rug out from under you and it's like oh actually it's the system just kidding yeah so I wanted to ask you guys, I, I came away from that thinking that is this 
is Skeletor supposed to represent some kind of like this is like community violence? This is the violence that we we put on each other just by bumping into each other every day or because of drugs or whatever. And then in in this instance, movies saying like, yes, this is a problem that needs to be dealt with, but there are some like motherfuckers with baseball bats that need to be choked out before they kill our families over here. Like it, it definitely seems to put two problems in front of us, and it seems to acknowledge that hey, this is also an issue here, but you know maybe the system's broken too. <laughs> the Skeletor, he reminded me of like that, like weird, like he's difficult, right? Like I couldn't, I, I also don't know how I feel about him. Cause like, it's like, he's, he, he's yeah. the, he's like the scary demented black man, right? Like he, he he's yes, like, he's yes. like, he's like the, the evil magic Negro. If we could like say this, like he's, he's got like this kind of like, they're like Candyman like vibes, right? And I think which is the other movie that I think about here that's like very helpful, like as as an analogy and also similarly provocative, like that whole like Tony Todd like be my victim sort of thing, where it's like here's someone who is both a victim of racist violence, but is also like somehow demonic in their way as a reaction to it, but is like also like kind of embodies these tropes that are like very like frightening and I or distressing, and like I, I don't. I don't know how I feel about him, I, I, but, but the thing I keep on thinking about is how the hero, like, there are multiple, like, there's a lot of doubling going on in these movies, right? But, like, the, the hero, um, the, the, I guess the bloody stranger played by uh, Edwin Hodge in, in the first three Purge movies, mm-hmm. like, one thing that the first movie does repeatedly establish is that he's a veteran, right? Like, you see he's got dog tags on. Right. And he's being hunted by yes. the preppy kids and all these other like white purgers. But he's a, he's a black veteran. And then later, you know, he runs the resistance. And then there's like the like Omar, I guess, is also in there, like a whole lot of social bandits. Right. But like then that also uh, the Dimitri character, the the Alana Noel character is also a veteran. Right. So they're like both like they have this military training, but also they're minorities and they're back and they're being hunted by the state. And like the way in which they both relate to other types of violence, like straight, like criminal, like quote unquote thuggish violence is, I don't know, complicated going on there. Yeah. Dimitri and his crew, like, yeah, being veterans uh, that like it's the Christopher Dorner phenomenon. Yes. Kind of right. Like these guys were at a level that was sort of considered, if not more elite, more disciplined than the police. And then they see the police, you know, mm-hmm. using these tactics to, you know, on civilians and on people that look like them. Um, That's uh, that I'm thinking now about like the Michael Myers, like like the whole like um, or, or, or like the Freddy Krueger thing. Like, I think like one thing like, I, I came across in my work is how how little people like to talk about Christopher Dorner. Not saying like people like enjoy talking about him, but like the, the, the idea of like the black veteran cop who starts killing cops. That's like the, that's the nightmare. That's like the, that, that's the nightmare of the cops, right? Like they may be frightened of like the random guy who's got like, I don't know, even Skeletor does like has a knife in his mouth or whatever, but like the hidden blade, they can like stick you <laughs> anywhere. But like, the, I think what they're really, what the system is really scared of are these people who are like, black and trained and radicalized right and there's something like that's like the real nightmare in some ways but also there is this other real nightmare which is like the criminal who can't feel pain because like i mean like skeletor takes knives right like he gets stabbed he's got like excited delirium or whatever like and he seems to be totally fine like doesn't isaiah puts a knife in his spine and he's like going okay later right yep right yeah yeah Uh, i think they they put pressure on the wound and it was fine wow (laughs) yeah Turns out that's the trick. It's a, a, a oh. credit card on the opening. I learned. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Oh man, the okay. So there are many great initialisms in surviving edged weapons, but the repeated use of EDP, emotionally yeah. disturbed person. 
like the if there is like a main antagonist in surviving edge weapons if we can turn that into a coherent narrative like the cop's ultimate end enemy is the emotionally disturbed person who is portrayed in various guises and surviving edged weapons like very similar to skeletor in uh in the first purge well and and any number of the the notorious purge montages like every purge movie has at least three musical like uh tony scott directed really high contrast colorful montages of crazy or i should say of, of just emotionally disturbed people wearing huge masks and doing crazy dances and fire machine guns in the air the, the montages by the the fourth film they get you know you got the guillotine footage and the the baseball scene you actually get some really creative stuff but previous to that it's just like hey look i guess if you need the, to purge you also know how to arts and crafts and make led cover colored you know <laughs> uh jackets and things too uh there, yeah. there's certainly a lot of a uh, a lot of that going on there. yeah i think the show actually gets in how like the costume industry gets in on the purge or like somebody works in a in a mask factory that makes masks for the purge. So, so, so the question I kept them wondering would be like, like the, the lack of product placement, right? L like in the sense that I'm like, like, what would be, cause like, I'm like, clearly this is fucking America, right? So, so like the, the NRA is yeah. there and there are actually some interesting like gun ads in, in, in the films, but I keep on thinking about like, what would be the official energy drink for the purge? <laughs> right yeah because you got to keep going right like it wouldn't it's... just be monster it'd be like monster release the beast edition and, and like because it's and because it's legal they put like some amphetamines in there too just like what the hell right, right? You're like you, you gotta can't let the add get you on first night oh, yeah. but like uh yeah would it be illegal to manufacture a drug enhanced energy drink uh, any other day could i like do a run on purge day and then the following oh, year man. sell it on purge day it I think in Syria, they have an energy drink that's just straight up laced with cocaine. Like, there's just coke in there. And, like, that's a very prized item by a lot of fighters uh, <laughs> amongst the moderate and immoderate rebels right, right. in Syria. Popping, like, uh, Saudi Captagon with it. Yeah, no. I'd be like, right, Captagon, yeah. that's right. Yeah, like, I don't even know. I, Wait, what's what's Captagon? It's like, it's like a Benzedrine. Like, I don't fucking know where they get it from. Maybe it's, like, South African. Like, it's... Uh, it, it's a type of amphetamine, and it's it's like a it's like hardcore rough go pill shit. Like it's like a methadrine or captagon is whatever it's called. Like uh, in, in like, Damn. but like the reason I, I yeah, that's what like the, the all these ISIS fighters were running on on candy. Like there's all this like literature about like you know, like the, the, we were talking about this on the stream, right? Like all these SS guys running on amphetamines and shit, and the blitz created these fueled by meth. But also like I think some Saudi prince got arrested with a like a literal like Cessna full of captagon tablets at one point, and he's like, no, no, my my whole plan is a diplomatic bag. I, I, it's, it's, this is personal use <laughs> and not going to for fighters and see, but yeah, no, it was definitely going to uh, like, but in, in the purge universe, like a hundred percent, there are just like warehouses full of the cocaine energy drink and captagon that get like released on, on purge night. Like they go on sale <laughs> at, at 7 PM, March, whatever. I, why would I pay for my captagon? I would just steal it. It's purge. I'm just going to go steal a flat of captagon. It fell off the back of a bus. Well, well, this is, I was talking to the lawyer about this on Twitter, right? Where it's, it's like, it, it gets very confusing. Cause like a lot of the, a lot of things, it, it's unclear if like civil law is suspended. So like, you may be like still like tortiously liable for a wrongful death, all crime, but, all crime. but that's, the, that, that's not the same as civil liability though. So you could still be like, but also, like some of the crimes where it's like if you take someone's house, like or like if I got like if I if I can't if I forge checks on the purge night, 
I, I may still be stolen right. for, I, I may be still liable for the things that I use, I bought with them. It's, it's very unclear, right? Like, but I guess this only gets to the basic point where it's like, well, actually, what we're just, Purge Night is just like, it's just about liquidating people, right? And making people rich. Yes. Um, and that's like the real legality. Like, that's this, like, what is legal 364 days of the year is just like made possible by the Purge Night, but the two things are somehow indistinguishable at the end, at the end of the day. If you get somebody pregnant on Purge Night, you don't have to pay child support. I think that's what we just figured out. Well, right. yeah. So that actually gets something like I was surprised at the comparative lack of sexual violence in these movies. Like it mm. carries with it, right? Like it's always there. And of course, like it, it, it's probably also problematic that Skeletor is like the most rapey of the bad guys. And it, at some point, it's implied that yep. Big Daddy in Anarchy may want young women in particular, like the guy, the guy rolling around with the truck. But like there's very little. It, it, it doesn't like we don't they're, they're no they're no on camera rapes right like the th like the crowds appear to just want to kill people they don't appear to want to like sexually abuse them like it, i'm just i'm thinking about like the hills have eyes or stuff right like other movies where like we're going to get extended sequences other horror movies where it's like we're going to get extended sequences of sexual violence whereas here it's like it's always there but not there in some way and I, I i'm not sure what i think about that yeah, it's implied like I I think in the, the concept sort of carries it far enough that we, like, oh, we know that's going on, but it, it it doesn't the films don't take that as an excuse to dwell on it, um, which I think is is commendable. And yeah, again, it's it's more about, yeah, building these tableaus and auras rather than uh, all the time reveling in graphic violence of any stripe. Right. Like they're they're bloody, but it's it's the camera doesn't linger. The cutting is very fast. There's a real propulsiveness to it. Um, and also that that's probably just necessary because, again, it's CGI gore like it does. It's not going to look good if you focus on it like it doesn't look good to begin with. But <laughs> yeah, um, that was uh, actually something that I wanted to go back and rewatch the fourth one to take a closer look at. Um, it reminded me, the depiction of violence in that movie reminded me a lot of um, uh, Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino. Um, with all the problems that that movie has, uh, I'd always loved how um, the violence against oppressed people was played completely straight, and it's horrific to look at. But when there's violence on the oppressors, they lean into it and let you revel in it, and they want you to feel good about okay. the oppressors being avenged or, you know damaged right like uh, uh, and i i can see that happening especially in the fourth purge i could see that happening in that movie where uh, he doesn't he doesn't collapse uh skeletor's trachea <laughs> uh, I, I don't know the, the, it seemed like i was able to enjoy some violence and not able to enjoy others i noticed that like the police had a lot of digital gore and the people running around trying to stay safe tended to be the people that got squibs it's contextualizing the violence it's always along a um, like a power dynamic and the, the sort of the, uh, offender and victim are always clearly marked in some way or another. Well, I think it's a, this kind of message in this kind of movie has a delicate, um, tightrope to walk because it could, it could very easily, and maybe sometimes it does, it can very easily cross into glorifying the violence and like glorifying the concept at its heart a little too much. And uh, they do a really good job of not doing that. Like I think about uh, America history X, uh, the old story about how that was, that was supposed to be a film that shows the evil heart of 
you know, white nationalism, but instead it like now everybody dresses like that and behaves like that because they look so badass in that movie. Um, this movie seems to go to great lengths to try to not allow that to happen. I won't see bugaloo boys putting, you know, leather daddy pants over their Hawaiian shirts or whatever. And also squibs just hurt to look at sometimes. And digital gore is always worse than no gore. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it's a, such a heightened aesthetic. It's so stylized that it's, um, like, I think that's the way it's able to get the political message across in the first place yeah. is everything is so like, we're so focused on the B movie concept and, um, the really theatrical production design. Like it's, um, it's sort of akin to like how the novel, a clockwork orange is written completely in, in slang. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's a distancing mechanism. So you can actually, you realize with like your, uh, actual thinking brain what's going on once you think about the in trying to parse the aesthetic and and parse the the genre like you stumble on the political stuff where uh, yeah especially compared to american history x where it's trying to be like realistic but it winds up glorifying some really awful things unintentionally it's yeah interesting that you bring up i've been thinking about that movie a lot and how like like when i was in college in 2008 uh like everybody's like oh man this is like one of the best movies it, it was like really popular with like people my age guys my age it's like because it was like the first grown-up movie we were into or whatever yep I remember. and those. then now yeah. nobody's really talking about that movie anymore like no one rightfully so yeah i don't think it's the best legacy yeah i think the, the actual text of the movie says if you hand a racist a book they'll learn not to be racist right Oof. Like that, that's the, that's the biggest problem. And, and also how cool it is to watch somebody, you know, curb stomp somebody. <laughs> There's like the two things that I take away from it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a moving movie. It's a moving film, but it's definitely not one that I feel like I could give to anybody and they'll come away with it with a you know good message at the end of it. Right, man. Um... I, I, I wonder if, if purge will age in a similar way. I guess, I guess we'll have to see. That'll be the, that'll, that'll be where the strength of the storytelling comes up or fell or falls. Right. I mean, I think these movies have only as I've rewatched them over the past like year or two, like it's they just feel more and more. Right. <laughs> Ch chilling and talking about movies and like trying to find what what is the artist trying to say in these things? That's, that's the best part of it. I think that's why movies like The Purge, uh, maybe I can uh, The Purge series, movies like The Purge series. I love them because. They, they get at something really true and raw and real, and they're also just viscerally entertaining. And it's not often when you can dig into a movie that just entertains you and find something of substance underneath it. That's really – especially today. That's super rare. Yeah. And yeah. I, and actually, to, to take it back to the other one, that's something I love about Surviving Edged Weapons is there's also authenticity there. <laughs> like I, I you can kind of see the maker of that videotape <laughs> in the videotape. Like that that's like there's genuine fear and panic and some human being had to cut footage of morgue stab wounds and you know interviews with weeping officers talking about the most traumatic moment of their life and that's real and raw and authentic and yeah. also the reenactments are viscerally entertaining. It's the best. Yeah. I love movies yeah, like this. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's uh oh, go ahead, Pat. No, I just, I'm just imagine. I, I, I feel like that movie was put together by like a duo, one of whom was like 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 a hardcore cop with like a giant handlebar mustache, <laughs> who was like like also like has a weird collection of like I don't know, like he's he's into surviving ed edged weapons and also has like a, a basement full of Hitler youth knives and like Rhodesian bayonets <laughs> or some shit. <laughs> and it's like it's like that guy and also. 
a, a, a Hollywood dude whose other thing is like extremely grainy pornography and is on more <laughs> cocaine that afternoon than Skeletor has done in his entire life. And like this style, <laughs> this duo is producing just the most banger 1980s cop like training thrillers imaginable. Like, I mean, it says right on the cover, best, best police training tape ever made. Right. That's yeah. not wrong. It's man. Yeah. I mean, it, it like those reenactments, those dramatizations, like they outdo 80s action movies at their own game. So fucking good. Like, oh, it's right. Oh, man. But just earlier today, I watched there's a 45 minute supercut of just the reenactments, no, which anybody I've... listening to this, just watch that. Just watch that. Yeah, you don't you yeah. don't have to watch. Right. S- save yourself from some damage. Like, yeah. All the yeah. All the psychology is on full display just in the like the artificial stuff. Like you don't have to get to the. Uh, the meat of it but yeah I, I think that's a good point is like these are two films that are definitely made by human beings one for evil and one for good yeah i dig um, it I, I would watch both of these movies again i would watch both of these movies with friends um i've, I've, I've since watching the purge movies i've i've regularly recommended them to people in my circles uh, i think they're great oh, I think they're really great yeah yeah just yeah entertaining all the way all the way through yep. uh, just everything so i i think it's like what six thumbs up on 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 all this stuff like oh yeah um <laughs> less one pinky though <laughs> you you lose less that. one bill <laughs> <laughs> that's right two upside down crosses yep. yeah, yeah way way up high yep. <laughs> watch the police training video folks yeah, it's great that... it's, there are satanists yeah, they, yeah she's she's like listening to like black stabbeth or something and she's like, so sorry. <laughs> wait, wait did you say black you know stabbeth black stabbeth <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but like the other thing, the other thing I, I had something haunting my brain through the through the movie, and I realized what it was. And like, there are two things. One, like that that um, that the twenty one foot rule, right, which originates in eighty three with a SWAT. It's in, I think it's in SWAT mag. It's this guy Dennis Tuller from I think that I don't know pronounce his fucking name, but a cop in in Utah writes the whole like twenty one foot rule and. You know, there's actually that wonderful scene in Justified that kind of dramatizes it hilariously. But Dennis Tooler is all about the the 21 foot rule, which he also calls the danger zone. And I realized that nice. the other half of the thing that was in my head was Kenny Loggins and the danger zone and the line in the danger zone, which is the closer to the edge, the hotter the intensity. And wow. Na- wow. Yeah. And now, like, yeah. That edged weapon, surviving edged weapons, and the closer you are to the edged weapon, the hotter the intensity. And now I can't get that out of my brain. And now, hopefully, I've polluted your brains too. I think we we're all we're all broken by these things, <laughs> and hopefully, in a constructive way. Um, man, I think I mean, we, I, we did I, good work. I, we covered yeah. a lot of ground here. Uh, I will just add that the surviving edged weapons is a genuinely informative and useful tape yeah weirdly enough like just for for both good and ill yeah right the <laughs> yeah. the information about hand-to-hand combat is actually like yeah super informative if you ever find that yes. yourself in that situation but it's like in trying to appear non-ideological it is the most ideological film i've ever yes. seen <laughs> the, the the negative space is there for sure <laughs> yeah yeah let's let's wrap it up um yeah let's let's plug uh yeah carte blanchfield on twitch for uh for a weekly dose of pat and dan um i'm in the chat pretty regularly on there you're one of our most stalwart um uh co-joiners we really (laughs) appreciate i've really the community is is everything (laughs) like it's very small but man everybody's so smart i've learned so much from i've learned so much from you now yeah thanks for being on guys um i wouldn't mind doing this again sometime so uh i love that yeah we'll just cut it off here definitely
Um, you can follow us on Carp. Well, how, let's see. How do we spell Carp Blanchfield? C A R T E Blanchfield. On Twitch. Yes, please. Thank, and thank yeah, you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Odd Splice. Be sure to visit oddsplice.com for all of your Odd Splice needs. And don't forget to rate and review the show wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks, everyone.